So Luther practiced confession. Luther wanted confession to remain one of the main sacraments in the Lutheran church. Because it was in confession that his confessor said to him, Martin, have you read the New Testament? So the whole idea that the Roman Catholic Church didn't know that we were saved by grace through faith by Jesus Christ in the Middle Ages is not entirely true because it was his confessor who told him to read the New Testament. On the train of, you know, okay, we got this liturgy. I can see how you're saying it's more biblical. I'll give you that. But confession, mm -hmm. priests, and forgiving myself, that's why I got Jesus. You know, we talked about last night at dinner, um, and, and even a little bit before Bible study of church, you know, me and Jesus, yeah. we, got, we got it all figured out. That's why, awesome. Why do I need, where's that in the Bible? Why do I need that? For what, the question is, you got to flip it. Where in the Bible don't you? So in the Old Testament, if you sinned, what did you have to do? You had to make a sacrifice, right? right? And so the priest, and the priests weren't stupid. So if you show up with a full heifer, what did you do? It's a really, <laughs> right? really big sin. Yeah. So he knows what you're doing. But you have to, the sins have to be confessed over the animal. So you bring your offering, you bring your sacrifice to make atonement. The priest kills the animal while you're there because the victim is taking your place. And the priest is the intermediary. So you can't offer the sin. The sin can't be confessed or rightly atoned without the priest, without the person, and without the sacrifice. You need all those components. All of those components are carried over into the New Testament. Hebrews goes at great length to do this, to show us that Jesus is the high priest. He is the one who's sacrificed once for all. Not once and for all, but once for all. Meaning once and it can never happen again. So his death upon the cross is a once-for-all event. What is a New Testament priest? Why would we use that language? Because this is what Jesus gives the apostles. So in John 20, let's begin this way. In, in Matthew 10, he sends them out in something like a prophetic evangelistic role. They're like John the Baptist. They go to the cities of Israel to announce his personal arrival. He says, don't go anywhere but to Israel. In the end of Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission, he says to go to all the world and basically do what I just told you to do in Matthew 10. To summarize it. John's gospel expands that and in a way focuses that, that commission in, in a very different way. Jesus breathes on them, the Holy Spirit, and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they're retained. He doesn't do that until Easter. He doesn't do that until his death and resurrection. But if you go back to John 13, you can see he's preparing them for the priesthood, and they know it. But a different kind of priesthood, because he's fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. He's our heavenly high priest. He's our king. He's our prophet. But does that mean those graces are now suddenly gone from the church? It's, it's quite the other way around. He breathes on them and gives them priestly authority, so that whatever they forgive is genuinely forgiven. What, remember when he heals the paralytic and, the, and they're um, upset with him? Like he heals the guy because he's forgiven his sins. Remember that in Mark 2? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and he says, because they're grumbling, who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. He's giving the apostles the same power. That's decentralizing the authority of the Levitical priesthood built around the temple. And it's focusing the absolution, the forgiveness of sins, the ministry of reconciliation that Paul talks about to the apostles. So they have it directly. So part of their global ministry of going out and preaching the gospel is then to announce the forgiveness of sins by believing that gospel. And then the people reflect their genuine belief through their confession and their baptism. And that's all happening on the day of Pentecost. So when we talk about a New Testament priest, we're talking about a relationship 
that the ordained clergy have that go back to Easter morning itself, Easter evening, I should say, when Jesus breathed upon the apostles and created a bond between him and them. So the church, the Holy Spirit's poured out on the day of Pentecost. So we have the whole body of Christ and everybody in the body of Christ as a member of the body is anointed by the Holy Spirit with various charisms and gifts and miracle working powers and administrations and other things that people think are boring but are very spiritual gifts. And the Holy Spirit does all of this. And within the midst of that body is this skeletal system that's apostolic succession that is a New Testament priesthood that's composed of bishops, priests, and deacons. And what would you say to somebody who says, well, you know, they would talk about the you know Protestant doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. So they yeah. would reference like, you know, uh, I think it's First Peter yes. where he says, you know, well, you all are being built up into the temple. You are a royal priesthood. All, yeah, you're yeah. all royal priesthood so offering spiritual where's, sacrifice. Who's Peter quoting when he says that? Uh, he'd be quoting from what Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Exodus 19. Exodus, okay. When God tells Moses that all of Israel is royal priesthood. But they saw the priest in the Old Testament. Right. So in the same way that there was the tribe of Israel that was a royal priesthood, and Israel was a priestly nation amongst the other nations, meaning Israel drew, drew near to God in a way the other nations couldn't, within Israel was a tribe, the Levites, and within the tribe was a family, and within that family was the high priest and then the priest's and they facilitated the, the mediatorial role to equip the nation of Israel to be what she was supposed to be amongst the nations. Mm -hmm. That same principle is at work in the New Testament. So Peter says, you are royal priesthood in chapter 2. Well, in chapter 5, he says, I appeal to you elders as a fellow elder. So he's directly yeah. referring to those who were ordained in the ministry that he probably ordained some of them into, mm -hmm. some of the others. Because the word elder in Greek is presbyteros. It presbyteros, when you take it from the Greek through the various Germanic dialects into Old English, becomes the word prost, priest. So priest is an, is an anglicized version of saying presbyter. You could translate it directly as elder, but often today when people talk about an elder in the church, they, they use it in a way that dismisses the priestly nature that the full doctrine carries with it. Yeah. Because the priesthood that Jesus gives to the apostles doesn't go away. Paul talks about his apostolic ministry bring, being a priestly service in Romans, uh, the end of Romans. So the, the ordained clergy participate in the priesthood of Jesus in a particular way for the sake of the royal priesthood of the church. And absolution and confession is a part of that. So at what point in Christian history did people confess without confessing to a priest? Probably like never until recently. Never, never until the Reformation. And even Luther in getting rid of the priestcraft and, and getting rid of the abuses, as he saw them, from the medieval church, didn't get rid of ordained clergy, and he didn't get rid of penance, and he didn't get rid of uh, confession. So Luther practiced confession. Luther wanted confession to remain one of the main sacraments in the Lutheran church. Because it was in confession that his confessor said to him, Martin, have you read the New Testament? So the whole idea that the Roman Catholic Church didn't know that we were saved by grace through faith by Jesus Christ in the Middle Ages... Mm -hmm is not entirely true because it was his confessor who told him to read the New Testament. So do you think that you have to be an ordained priest to be able to absolve sin? I don't think the church has taught okay. that only the bishop and the presbyters, the, the, the deacons he makes priests. Mm -hmm. So only the bishop and the priests can absolve. Okay. Because Jesus didn't give that authority to anybody other than the twelve. So even in the, in the account of the Corinthians, Paul doesn't call upon them to discipline a guy themselves. He calls upon them to agree with him in his exercising of that discipline. Yeah. 
you see John do the same thing when he talks about Diotrephes. Peter does it to Simon the sorcerer uh, in Acts chapter 8 after Philip has already baptized. And Peter shows up and says, I'm not going to confirm him. You know, that, that's what the language means. I'm not confirming him to hell with you and your money. He tells Simon the sorcerer. So, and Simon's like, well, the sorcerer, pray for me that this doesn't happen. Peter's like, perhaps the Lord will forgive you. He doesn't even give him the assurance that he'll be forgiven. Yeah. So they maintain this authority all through the New Testament. And there's no indication, there's no, no inkling that that authority dismisses until the latter portion of the Reformation. All of the early church, East and West, believed it. Of all the things that get disputed in Christian history, holy orders aren't. Think about this, right? They dispute over the divinity of Jesus, the divinity of the Holy Spirit, the language of the Trinity, the canons of script and the books of Scripture. But they never dispute bishops, priests, and deacons. They never dispute absolution. They never dispute confession. As a matter of fact, conf confession was public. So you would come in and you would confess your sins publicly. And what happened is it got so scandalous. Like you scandalized the church by giving all the gory details of your sin publicly. So what they did is they, they made it a general confession, one, and then they privatized it. So now you, and as Anglicans, we've retained both. So we have private confession and we have a, an exhortation in the prayer book that I read um, at least twice a year, at the beginning of Advent and the beginning of Lent, to call people to private confession if they have uh, besetting sin. But, but let me say this, there are others that use it as a spiritual discipline, which is very commendable, and I'd recommend it to anybody to have a confessor, somebody that you speak with on the regular that can, that's a priest or a bishop that can give you absolution as you need it.